0: Battleline podcast, Jason Piccolo coming on this show and uh, really awesome background. Army combat veteran, Border Patrol agent and host of the Protectors podcast. DHS whistleblower, uh, author of two books, and he's going to be playing Specialist Egan in Clown Motel 2, which uh, we'll get into with him. But uh before we do, you've heard us talk about CBD. You've seen some recent posts that I've put up. About Ned and their products are great. I mean, if you're looking for basically a combination of overall wellness and health and uh, better sleep, something to treat anxiety and also just rest and recovery, I mean, their body butter, the CBD oil, as well as the immunity blend, all of that is just great and works well in conjunction. So CBD in particular has become extremely popular in the past year, making it more and more difficult to navigate and choose the right company and product. That's where Ned comes in. They produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD extracted from organically grown hemp plants, all sourced from an independent farm in Peonia, Colorado. NED is a wellness brand offering science-backed and nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Zero isolates, no synthetic ingredients, and full transparency. NED shares third-party lab reports who farms their products, their extraction process, all right there on their website. So uh, check them out. And yeah, whether you're looking to have something as a sleep aid or a uh, rich source of antioxidants cbd is just great um check out the immunity blend as well and the body butter you've heard chris talk about which is great if uh you know you are an athlete or someone who's training and you want to just have better recovery Love all their products. As for their CBD, contains a minuscule amount of THC, so that's less than 0.3% as allowed by law. This level of THC makes Ned Full Spectrum Hemp a non-psychotropic, meaning it will not get you high, despite the trace amounts of THC in Full Spectrum Hemp. It is possible to fail a drug test, even at low serving sizes, but you can use their Immunity Blend and a lot of other products on their website, their uh, cycle products for the females out there. And you get 15% off your first purchase, no matter what it is you're ordering from them, or 20% off your first membership purchase when you subscribe and save. So if you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the podcast audience. Go to helloned.com slash battleline or enter battleline at checkout once again for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash battleline to get 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order, plus free shipping. Thank you, Ned. Also, every show we do, you hear us talk about Fort Scott munitions, and I always talk about how ammunition right now is selling out no matter where you go. Uh, A lot of sites out there I see are doing price gouging and all that. Not Fort Scott. They always have great deals on the website. And although a lot of stuff is out of stock, they're restocking as fast as they can and there's still some uh, new stuff coming. Uh, they have some merchandise up in there, too, some shirts, some hats. Uh, but Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through Fort Scott Munitions dot com. That's F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N S dot com. Use exclusive promo code Battleline for fifteen percent off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battle Line Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Let's get right into everything.
1: You are now tuned into The Battle Line Podcast.
0: The switch is on, Battleline Podcast. Jason Popolo on with me for this whole episode. Army combat veteran, Border Patrol agent, host of the Protectors Podcast. I'm going through your whole resume here DHS whistleblower. Um, and I'll get into how uh, we connected, and also, I should say, the author <laughs> of Unwavering a Border Agent's Journey, and also Out of the Shadows about your whistleblower experience. So you've done, you are a man of many traits. Uh, you could say that, brother. And I always, I always, I gotta tell people. I'm like, look,
2: I started the army in '93, man. So that's like what 27 years ago now. So Holy it's like, shit. it's 27 years to fill in a lot of gaps. So you look young, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think
0: it was that long ago.
2: Well, let's just say two years and five months till I hit 50.
0: So, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you're you're man. closer to Chris's age. You guys are, I think, one year apart.
2: Yeah, man. It's uh, you know, I'm. I always tell people now I'm closer to 50 than 40, and they're like, really? I'm like, uh, did you ever hear of just for men for the beard die? If not, I'd be completely like Santa Claus over here, brother.
0: Did you see? Um, I follow Jim Brewer on Instagram, and he, yeah. he had this whole thing about how he said, and I, and I feel bad even saying it to you because I'm I'm in my 30s. But he he was saying like at 20s, this is how you feel like you're untouchable, and then he was like 30s, you know, I started thinking about career. He's like 40s, I'm becoming a coach, you know, with my kids, yeah. and then he said 50s is the first time he said. I'm gonna die soon. <laughs> oh, like that. Don't. oh man, thanks brother, thanks. I, uh,
2: I have a ten year old son, man, and like,
0: that, I'm that's away awesome. for a
2: week, we'll get away. Why I'm away for a week in a little while, but uh, my wife's texting me pictures saying like he's getting these long hair. I don't know he's twelve years old, and <laughs> you forgetting your kid's his, age? I forgot it. it's been like a week, you know. I, but uh, <laughs> he's getting these long hairs on his chin, and I'm like, oh no, he's definitely <laughs> Italian, like his dad's poor kid.
0: That's funny, man. Same here. So, I mean, Scotto, Jewish-Italian over here. <laughs> but th- no, that, you and Chris are, are kind of uh, people. Well, Chris has kids who are younger and then much younger. But yeah, it, it must be cool kind of being a father at that time and being able to kind of do stuff that you probably didn't do when you were serving.
2: Yeah, brother. It was, uh, you know, we can get into my – I can give you my overview of my, my background so the audience kind of knows who I am. For sure, not, yeah. The Protectors Podcast is worldwide, but it's not well-known yet.
0: <laughs> no, it's so, – well, you have, a, you have a following though, man, so. Yeah, it's
2: great, man. I cannot complain about the show and about the guests and, and the opportunities it's given me. Uh, but yeah, man, I was 90s. I was in the artillery as an enlisted dude, active duty, uh, good old 13 Bravo cannon crew member. I got out, went to college, joined a guard, went into an intel unit for a bit, decided to get commissioned. So I commissioned as an infantry officer. But rather go back active duty, I went into the Border Patrol in January 2000, uh, stationed in San Diego, did that for a bit. And then uh, almost three years later, I went into the uh, U.S. Customs because it was Customs before it was Homeland Security. And then I became a special agent working narco stuff right there in San Diego, literally a mile away from my old Border Patrol station. And uh, because I was attached to a DEA hiatus task force, which is high intensity drug trafficking area task force. Did that for a bit, and then I am uh, – I was an officer, so I was involuntarily recalled in oh five oh six. Um, Got sent to Benning for a few months until they tried to figure out what to do with me. Then they sent me down to Mississippi just in time for Hurricane Katrina, so I was in Mississippi for that training. Uh, shipped me off to Kuwait with the National Guard unit for a couple months, and then uh, four deployed me up to Iraq. Uh, attached me to the Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force as their anti-terrorism officer for a bit, um, for almost a year. Oh, wow. I got, got back from the war. Uh, in between all this, my wife became an FBI agent. Um, she was in the Army, too. And she was in Philly, man. So I had to find a job from San Diego closer to home. So I went to work the uh, the Guantanamo Bay investigations for a bit as part of a DOD task force in D.C. Did that for a while. And then I went off to work another DOD agency in uh, uh, Philly. And then I went back to ICE. But this time as a, an officer, then a fugitive operations supervisor. Then D.C. to headquarters. And then, uh, yeah, bro, um, you know what happens after that? The audience will find out a little bit later.
0: So I also wanted to ask you about, I mean, people could see if they just Google your name, Jason McColo. You really are most known as being a whistleblower for Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, brother. That was actually, and I always tell people, Mike,
2: look, man. I'm, uh, I'm a little right of center. So that was during the Obama administration. But I tell you what, man, I would have blew the whistle on any administration if they saw what was going on. And uh, fortunately, this administration did follow through with what I blew the whistle on. So I'll just go into it real quick. I've got the story down pretty pat. It's been, it's been about four years now since I blew the whistle. Or actually, it's been a bit more since 2015. So here's the deal, man. I go to headquarters for ICE. ICE uh, assigns me to this human smuggling cell, which is the White House Security Council's human smuggling cell. And what it is, it's a task force made up of all DHS entities from Customs and Border Protection, Border Patrol officers, uh, Homeland Security, uh, Homeland Security investigations, enforcement and removal operations. And what the deal was is we were supposed to disrupt and dismantle all these major smuggling networks that were operating on the southwest border. Uh, specifically... There was this influx of what they call unaccompanied alien children. Now, yes, there are MS-13 posing as children, but let's get into the full story here. There was approximately $30,000 to $80,000 in any specific year starting in 2012, 2013 of little kids and teenagers coming across the border um, unaccompanied. I mean, yes, they were probably uh, working with adults to get to the border. But then what happens is when a UAC, unaccompanied and alien children, for now I want to call them UACs, when a USC, UAC comes to the border, they're either going to go to a port of entry where a customs officer will take them into custody or the border patrol will take them into custody. And the reason I'm, I'm getting into the whole scenario is just so people understand how oh, I fit into sure. this variable and, and how it worked. So border patrol or an officer, just say the, the port of entry, the, the the border people take them. They hand them over to ICE. ICE then processes them and gives them to a federal agency called Health and Human Services, Health and Human Services, who has a subcomponent called Office of Refugee Resettlement, who then gives these little kids over to a sponsor facility. That's our contracted facility that's supposed to hand them over to a sponsor. Now, you gotta remember, there's like, you know, thousands of kids at a time. Now, these kids, you can't hold them forever. So these contracted facilities were just handing them over to sponsors, thousands and thousands of sponsors, unvetted sponsors, meaning that they weren't getting their criminal histories taken, they weren't having fingerprints taken, they didn't really have a valid address. um, Because in order to discover all this stuff, you need to have a law enforcement entity there to take their fingerprints or to have them go to a law enforcement entity or someone contracted to take fingerprints to vet them. So basically the kids were coming in, can't hold them forever. They're getting uh, pushed out to contracted facilities, who then give them off to sponsors that who knows who. Now, during this whole time, you started seeing those pictures of kids in the cages. You remember that?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Big the big kids in his cages thing. Then that's and I'll tell you which, that's what I got. Which blew into the up more,
0: you know, in the current administration than in the Obama administration. It got way more coverage.
2: Yeah, but those pictures were taken during Obama. That's what, and yeah. that's how I get. I came out of out of the shadows later on to be cheesy. But the deal was I um I was in this human smuggling cell. Um, I'm in charge of what they call the unaccompanied alien uh, children, the UAC database. So I can go in there and I can see what these kids look like. And I've noticed a lot of them are like babies on up to like, you know, teenagers, like I was saying before. And um, I come across a spreadsheet. One of my partners sends it to me. And a spreadsheet is dated July. And I got this spreadsheet in August. And the spreadsheet is 29,000 names on it of sponsors. These are the people that came in and grabbed those little kids, right? And out of those sponsors, 3,400 of them were you know, checkmarked criminal, up to including sex offenses. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like yo, aren't we going to go and do something? We can go and snatch kids. I'm like, I've run dynamic operations throughout my career. I've, I've run fugitive operations. I've done a lot of different things. Um, I know if we put the we can go get these kids secure their custody, and you know put them in a safe environment until they're either one um, go through the um, immigration court system and are either released into the United States or returned back to their native countries. So then um, it, it fell on deaf ears, man. It did, and it kept falling on deaf ears. And I knew what it would look like. The optics. This was before an election year. Um, you don't want to say all of a sudden, hey, the government just released, you know. Countless thousands. And that's 29,000 sponsors vetted out of hundreds, probably at this time, 180, 200,000 kids that have come across the border. So uh, I went home and I, uh, you know, at the time my kids were six and eight and I was like, you know what, how would I feel if my kids were getting released, you know, let's say God forbid something happened to me and some sex offender has custody of my kid. And I was like, you know what, Um, I I went down, went online, researched legally what I could do and the legal course of action for me was get hold of the office of special counsel. And I always tell people that. I always tell them that I legally blew the whistle. I didn't leak anything. I didn't go to the press. I went to the OSC. Which is the way to, to do it.
0: I, I feel like nowadays everybody wants to go on social media and, mm-hmm. and become famous rather than do the right thing.
2: Well, brother, like, that's one thing that comes with age, man, is you know a lot of people want that instant gratification, but it doesn't happen that way. Yeah. You know, if you, you want to do it right, um, you have to. Unfortunately, by doing it right, uh, eventually, and that's a whole story for a whole nother day, um, but I'll give you the snapshot. Eventually, I get debriefed. Um, I go back and forth with Health and Human Services for months. They're trying to devalidate my spreadsheet that I got from them. Their information came from them. But uh, lo and behold, I almost guarantee you the reason they wanted to debrief me was to find out who the hell this whistleblower was. And uh, they did. Um, cause one of the things I've done in my career is I became a certified fraud examiner and there's not many of them in that there was nobody in the cell. So when I, um, when I eventually get debriefed by helping human services and my OSC contact, it's anonymous, it's on the phone, but I said I was associated with a human smuggling cell and I was a certified fraud examiner and then boom, they knew exactly who I was. The next business day I went back to work, my term, my detail to that cell was terminated. Hmm. And then I went to the office of uh, Senator Charles Grassley. We worked Grassley. We worked on this for a few months, and um, we got the shit. I mean, can we swear on this? Story? Yeah, absolutely. I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we got the shit settled, man. Grassley went hammering them hard. Pictures of kids in the cages came out um, through my whistleblowing, and then they um, then they made it mandatory that you had to get fingerprints taken. Later on, after Trump was appointed. The fingerprints turned, uh, turned into DNA based off, of, I, I assume a lot of it was based off of some of the stuff I blew the whistle on, saying that all these, a lot of these kids are coming across with adults are either unaccompanied, who are not even familiar members, and God knows how many of them are, were trafficked for illicit means. Yeah. And that's where, like, you know, you and I both see what's going on. I guarantee you the audience that's listening to this right now Sees everything going on with trafficking right now. This was like a, a pipeline of little kids. It's almost like you know you can go onto a database and pick your flavor.
0: It's crazy for the
2: you know, and that's what, what concerns me nowadays. I didn't think about it back then. I thought about the sex offenders, but I was more concerned about like as a whole, you know, what the hell's happening. But now I think about it, I'm like, man, we were just essentially pushing kids across the border into who knows how many hands. You know, and it's not just sex, it's labor. We know for sure that at least six of those kids went to a labor trafficking organization up in Ohio. I think it was Ohio. So, I mean, it's crazy shit, man. It really is.
0: Now really, And it sounds like you 100% did the right thing and went about it the right way.
2: Yeah, man. And my career was over, you know, and I got my doctorate in uh, strategic security, my master's in forensic science, been in homeland security for years. Uh, my homeland security was over, bro. It was done. And uh, when I started seeing in w- during this administration where they were trying to blame everything on the current administration, especially with the kids in the cages, I, that's why I, I came out and I started – I wrote the book. I went on Fox a bunch of times. I went on OAN, and I said, here's the reality. Not a political stance. I always speak to the truth that I know, and um, and that's what I did, man. I wrote a bunch of articles in uh, Town Hall and Examiner about trafficking and the realities of it. The next book is going to be about domestic trafficking. Hey, man, if I can't work, I might as well do what I can.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's a huge issue, and I see also the people that you follow are really on the ground doing stuff about it. Um, The weird thing with the whole issue, though, is is because of how um, big it's gotten. There's also the people on, like, the fringe element who I think are, you know, not really going about it the right way, not really doing their research. And you've seen probably a million just crazy theories pop up. Um, I, from people who aren't reputable, and it, it hurts the cause. I think,
2: you know, the one mo- the best organization I've been working with, and they're really top notch. is I got to give a shout out to Deliver Fund. Deliver Fund is right. run by uh, Jeremy, who is an ex Navy SEAL, um, with a whole bunch of OGA types are in there, and he's got intel analysts, uh, specifically this girl named Kara, who's just really great on. Social I've seen media. her,
0: yeah, and I've I've seen her from your posts. Yeah,
2: yep, yeah, man. And the thing is, they're doing it right. And they put, always put up the thing. If you're a vigilante or a splinter cell going out and you, you want to do the right thing, I, I know you do, man. Who doesn't want to do the right thing? But in order to prosecute uh, a trafficker or a smuggler or anybody that's involved with the organizations, you have to build a case. Yes. And if you have a vigilante type going into it, you're going to ruin a case. It's either your, your evidence not going to be able to be used or whatever. Um, if you, I like to say, man, if you could document anything you've seen, send it to the right people and, uh, get that shit taken care of, man. But if you do the vigilante justice, I mean, the, the person might get a beat down or worse, but you're not going to save the victims.
0: Yeah. I uh, like might
2: be able to save one or two out of it. It's not like, you know, taken where you can go and just whack everybody.
0: It's, for sure. it's the
2: reality of life, you know?
0: As uh, as Chris and I have said before, you know, everybody wants to be a and I'm putting the air fingers quote up, you know, influencer and put it on Twitter and put it on Instagram, not go about it the right way, not get professionals involved. Um, You know what I'm wondering? Do you know uh, a former Delta Force guy, George Hand, because he's been involved in the fight against human trafficking for, I think, decades at this point? no i'd
2: love to meet him man if you guys know him
0: great guy yeah i i don't i've never personally you know met george but i've talked to him plenty of times online interviewed him and uh he's a great guy and has been involved in this way before people were talking about it um you know and you know it's funny a former border patrol agent we had on the show as well can no longer serve at the border i don't know if you know <laughs> gary brugman no i will after this man gary's great and gary has his own podcast as well and and you know, he was involved in his own stuff at the border where he can no longer serve and uh, is trying to get pardoned basically for an altercation that happened uh, quite a while ago. So,
2: I yeah, mean, it's a shame. Like, you know, when you come out and you blow the whistle or you do anything, your career is over with. Uh, you know, man, it just happens and <laughs> it sucks. But uh, thank God I had support out there because if not, I mean, and what would have happened if I didn't find another job within the government? I was lucky to land a job somewhere else. I can't talk about who I work with now. It's nothing spooky. It's just another agency.
0: <laughs> okay. But it's
2: uh, but yeah, man, it's just what happens if I didn't find another job?
0: Hey, you know what I you wanted know, to ask you, though, with with uh, all of your different uh, hats that you've worn throughout your life? I, I'm just curious because of your Instagram handle. Are you actually Dr. Jason Bacolo? I know you said you have a master's.
2: Yeah, brother. I have a doctorate in strategic security. Nice. Uh, From Henley Putnam University, which is part of National American University. My dissertation was uh, Preventing Lone Wolf Jihadists Using uh, Federal Resources and Social Media. Because my goal was always to, you know, this is when the active shooters and stuff are coming out there. You know, to really use social media to, to tag these people and to track them and to follow them. And so I wrote my dissertation on that. My master's thesis was Identifying Criminal Aliens. And uh, yeah, brother, now I don't do any of that in real life except for <laughs> books and podcasts. So.
0: But that's, I, I think, you know, always expanding what you're doing, always doing, always exploring new avenues, really, I think is very important. I think people get stuck in, um, I've seen it with my own life, man, with 10 years of doing the same thing over and over. And, uh, you know, life is short, man. You got to do other things that you're passionate about.
2: Well, you know, um, I've been a professor for years, too, man, teaching everything from immigration law, computer forensics, uh, criminal justice, interview interrogation. Uh, Just I do stuff now that I enjoy. And that's where the podcast came in, man. And the podcast has since morphed from audio to, like, Amazon Fire TV to YouTube. I've had spinoff shows now like called Empowered with women veterans and LEOs and stuff. And uh, it's been good, man, because it gets me out of that, where I don't have to be in a political landscape, yes. I could talk to really cool people, do really cool shit, and uh, but I do want to have a show where I talk politics, man, and talk about what what my ground truth reality is. It's so, it's uh, funny
0: from all these years of um, and I, Chris, you know, is not here because he's doing his Illinois course with Battleline. He was so involved in the political landscape that I think he's just glad to be out of it. And I'm I'm the same way in that previously I was working on Andrew Wilkow's show. Uh, I was working on Senator Bill Bradley's show, which wasn't a political show at all, though. Um, but especially now with all of the craziness going on in the world, I'm, I'm kind of glad to be out of it. I really just like to speak to people who have interesting stories. And I kind of like that the show is apolitical and that we could uh, appeal to everyone because. A a friend of mine said it recently, but at least how I feel, man, I I think politics is no longer very fun. (laughs) You know, it's it's just it's so heated at this point and no one even has debates anymore about monetary policy and where our foreign policy should be. Should we uh, be isolated? Should we be the police officers of the world? Now everything is focused on racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, identity politics. And uh, it I mean, it just gets to be too much at a certain point.
2: I, you know, man, I want to raise my kids. I want to shoot guns. I want to talk to good people. Um, and uh, now, man, uh, we'll probably get into it in a little while. And, and now just just have fun, man. You know, go fight some clowns, man.
0: Yeah, we have to get into that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll bring the audience up to speed. So I, the way that Jason and I touch base, if you guys listen back to the episode uh, Chris and I did called Finding Your Passion, I have no idea – How? But we got onto the subject of the Clown Motel in Las Vegas. And then I put a post up on Instagram and I thought this was the most obscure topic to talk about. I figured most people would have no idea what the fuck I'm even, you know, discussing here, but it was just a fun post of like, would you stay here overnight? And then I saw Jason responded and you were like, Hey, I'm shooting Clown Motel 2 here. Uh, In in just a few weeks. And and automatically, I think I bumped people from the podcast. I was like, all right, we're getting Jason on. (laughs) I hopefully wanted to have you on from the clown motel, which it didn't work out that way. But you basically just got back from there and you're in some other hotel right now. So I have to hear the whole backstory of this. And I'll say this actually before you do, though. It was almost a little disappointing looking at your Instagram pictures of the Clown Motel because you guys all look like you're having a blast. I, I wanted you all to look terrified because it looks like the sketchiest place in the world and you look like you're having the time of your life. Brother, it's <laughs> social media. You always see the
1: good things.
2: <laughs> the place is uh, very interesting, man. And I'll tell you the backstory on this. So years ago, like 2016, there was a short coming out. And one of the guys I grew up with uh, named Casey Hendershot, look up his IMDB, which is Internet Movie Database. Incredible guy. He's been in every movie. He's a stuntman, um, acting in everything. I mean everything you can imagine from like the Avengers to just anything. And uh, Casey was supposed to be attached to a movie called Clown Motel. So it's like, yeah, it's a Kickstarter or Indiegogo. I'll, I'll kick in a few hundred bucks. You know, I'll get the exo- associate producer and just kind of follow up to that because I'm supporting a friend. And this was Case an of,
0: original. You, what we're is, talking about was This Clim is Clim the Hotel original too. short. This yeah.
2: isn't even the movie Clim Oh, Hotel. okay, okay. And this is just in order to get the movie made. So I'm like, okay, uh, I do that. I become an associate producer on it to kind of watch it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, then I find out I become um, Facebook friends with the director, a guy named Joseph Kelly. And I find out they're shooting uh, this one which is Clown Motel 2 where it's supposed to be a, a task force of uh, soldiers fighting clowns. And I'm like, hey, bro, um, do you have a military advisor? And he's like, um, no. And I'm like, okay, man, can I help you out at least just to get some of the stuff right? And he's like, sure, man. Uh, it turns into like, you know, all of a sudden I'm a military advisor. Then three weeks ago, he's like, hey, do you want to be in it? And I'm like, sure, man. <laughs> so I... uh I stopped drinking for a few weeks, started rucking and started working out because I have to be in front of the camera, which is uh, I'm used to doing like, you know, from the head up so I could look like any way I want. (laughs) But anyway, become the military advisor a few months ago. And this is a very um, limited budget movie. So I'm just I'm Googling everything. I'm trying to figure out everything. Uh, I'm by no means a master of the military, but I do have a decent background. I do know a lot of people. I do know how to Google things. I need, I need to know how to watch YouTube. So I'm getting my, my partner and I, this guy named Jay. He, uh, he's helping me out. He's a vet and contractor. And we start just getting airsoft guns. We start getting gear. Um, and we charge, And then the next thing you know, man, we're, we're on our way to the clown motel to, to shoot this thing, man. And uh, clown motel is very, very interesting. And this you know, is the, and
0: are you saying this is the first you were a part of the first one or is this the second?
2: No, this is the second. This Got is it, this okay. one. This is this week. So I fly in Saturday. I drive up to the Clown Hotel and I'm like, where is this place, man? It's like three and a half four hours uh, on a way to Utah from Vegas, and I pull into it and I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? You know, it's uh, it is kind of what you would think, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's very. You know, you you pull in, man, and it's like the first thing you see is this big old sign. It says Clown Motel, and you're like at the end edge of town. Uh, town's probably got like I don't know what five six hundred people in it. I have no idea, and it's like just clown crap everywhere. They have new owners. You go, you for, you walk through the door, and you're like, wow, man, I this feels kind of like I've, I'm back in Iraq or something. Walking on like some uh, interesting area because it's a uh, sorry cloud motel but it's not the cleanest area in the world it feels like you're kind of in the barracks but it's nestled right next to one of the oldest cemeteries in the area where it turns out like half the people in the cemetery died of a weird plague in the eight or the uh early 1900s and then you uh you don't your just room from the
0: pictures i've seen it's right on top of this graveyard it is it's on not, top of yeah. it man
2: it's literally 20 feet from the front door probably is where you could walk into the graveyard and, you know, the first night we were there, it's like the room, all the rooms have clown crap on a wall. You can get special rooms like you want to get the Jason Friday the 13th room. You want to get the Michael Myers room. You want to get just a freaky one. I luckily I got the room with a, a clown Ronald Reagan, a clown Marilyn Monroe and a clown Elton John. So I got the, you know, the kind of the, the 70s, 80s and, and 60s kind of cool room. But, uh, yeah, man, it felt like you were staying in a barracks, uh, because the floors are wood and it's like, you have to wear your flip flops to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I mean, it was nice, man. Uh, but yeah, then people are like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And I'm like, uh, shit. I'm like, what is up with this place? And that's before all the cast and crew got there. Um, you know, beautiful area, like at night when the dusk is going down, you see the graveyard right there. Perfect to shoot a movie, but, uh, it's freaky, man. it is a little freaky. and you just you're like, is there even a hospital within like a hundred miles of this place if anything happened? it's uh it's crazy, man. and then it just turned into a, a decently uh, or let me rephrase that. it turned into a uh, a kind of a, in order to shoot at the motel. They didn't the hotel wouldn't or the motel wouldn't give the whole thing to us. They were still having people come to stay there. So you'll be shooting scenes and cars will be pulling in to take pictures. All day long people are taking pictures of the Clown Motel. And then like probably like I don't know, thirty or forty clowns showed up to be in a movie. And it's uh it's been an interesting experience, man. And it's my first time dealing with any camera crews and, you know, stuff like that for an indie budget movie. And it's 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 been interesting, man.
0: How like for the average person, how frightening would you say it is to be there? I mean, because you're a guy who's been at the border. You've dealt with some very crazy scenarios. For an average the, person just pulling up, I mean, are, are they going to be able to fall asleep at this place? You
2: know, a lot of people couldn't sleep there. A lot of the cast and crew, um, they had to sleep there because there's really no other. There's hotels around the area, but for budget reasons, they had to sleep there. But, yeah, a lot of people were having a tough time, and they would just stay up all night. It's really freaky, man. It is. You know, if – like. But me, I grew up, little known fact is I grew up in a town called Blairstown, New Jersey, uh, where they filmed Friday the 13th Part 1. So we used to go party back in the camp where Jason was, wherever Jason's mom was, and where he came out of the lake. So uh, I've always been like kind of a horror buff. So this was just kind of cool, man. But, uh, yeah, man, it's freaky. If you're an average person, you've got to go there. I don't
0: care if you stay there or not. You've got to just stop and say,
2: what the fuck is this in the middle
0: of nowhere? That's what Chris was saying. Chris was like, we got to do a podcast from there. But, like, who even stays there? Like, and And how many people stay there? Especially now, I would assume, with COVID going on. It's probably not, you know, the biggest destination.
2: Uh, brother who do you think stays there
0: <laughs> Pe- people who are horror buffs you know I, it's I would... uh it's interesting you know i, I should
2: have taken a picture of the clientele that were coming in there man was it um, like people
0: it, on meth or what was it
2: it wasn't that bad but it was like you know uh but the thing is that they're charging regular rack rates man but it's i guess for the experience which is how, mu- how
0: much is it to stay at the clown motel
2: I gotta, I gotta look. I will get back to you with that, or we'll both Google it after this, man. Because I didn't, I didn't have to pay, so I was like,
0: "But do that. you know if it was like dirt cheap or was it?"
2: Well, you know, up the road is a, a Comfort Inn. Comfort Inn was like seventy bucks a night, so you know they're charging at least $70, 80 bucks a night this okay.
0: there. And, and so, in terms of it, sounds like the upkeep probably not the not upkeep worth it.
2: could use a little help, man. It could, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it could use a little house hunters renovation. You know what I mean, brother? It could use like hotel. Let's get, um, what's it, that Bar Rescue and, and Gordon Ramsay to come in and yeah. rescue this place, you know?
0: Well, I love the guy on uh, Bar Rescue, John Taffer. He's hilarious.
2: John, yeah. if you're watching this, why don't you go up there and uh, save the clown motel, brother?
0: <laughs> How far off the Vegas Strip is it? And, and you said it's on the way to Utah. It's like
2: three hours away, bro. Okay. And we're, um, we're so shooting. So there's nothing
0: to do. You're, you're, if you're there, you're nothing. there specifically for this.
2: Yes, there is zero to do there. There's like a little casino. Uh, but that's it, man. And But there's really nothing. If there was a Mexican place was pretty good and then uh pizza and a Burger King. And uh, I ended up just eating like granola bars the whole week, man. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where this food is coming from. <laughs> it's like whatever, man.
0: Man, man uh, I I just – it looks so crazy. I do sort of want to see it, but at the t- same time, to. I'd be freaking out. If I went with Chris and if Chris is carrying I, I feel like I'll be safe. Um, if you go with
2: Chris and you guys both bring some like crucifixes and like some (laughs) guns and you know, some garlic and shit, man, cause then you got to imagine there's all these like, you have some clown actors, but then you have people that are just obsessed with clowns that are there to be in a movie. And you're just like, wow, we did, we did have the COVID compliance. So we had to wear the masks and everything we had to get every hour. Someone had to squirt your hands down with, with, uh, sanitizer and you had to get your temp in a morning and temp when you left and stuff so it's different to shoot a movie now
0: but i assume during the scenes you're not wearing a mask
2: no man okay
0: yeah i was gonna say that would be a weird movie
2: <laughs> yeah absolutely the new generation where you know covid compliant clown killing movies
0: so i've never even seen the first one is it it's like your typical campy horror flick or what was yeah. it like
2: why don't, we, why don't we do this? Why don't we just watch the second one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> when is
2: it supposed to be out? Uh, it'll probably come out in spring, man. Okay. Yeah, we'll do, uh, we'll do a little kickback. I'll find you guys a copy of it beforehand.
0: Not, so what's the plot? Because it does involve, like, military okay, here's, personnel, yeah, here's right? The,
2: the first one, um, the main actress, Brooke, is at the end of the movie, she's captured by clowns. And she calls her, her fiancé Sergeant Kelly. Who's away so, and says, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And then the next movie is Kelly trying to rescue her. So Kelly links up with um, – there's eight of us that are supposed to be specialists from different branches. So I just kind of made everybody a task force member because with budget, we could only use um, – what do you call it? Um, the marine camo pattern. Okay. Okay. So I make everybody a specialist and then I make transfers. So these are the four recruit transfer privates who we have to give them Marine uniforms as well. I was able to go online and get us a bunch of, you know, IBAs and stuff and like like we're using the airsoft. But the premise is we all get together and we have to go find Brooke. But we're staying our, our control room and everything is at the clown motel. And the next thing you know, uh, we start fighting clowns at the hotel. And one of us, one by one, kind of start getting picked off. <laughs> and uh, tonight, I so I'm in a movie now. I've never been in a movie. So tonight, or today, in a little while, as soon as we're done with the podcast, I got to run off and do my, my big scene where I fight clowns. Um, <laughs> and I thank my buddies over at V-Knife that donated this bad-ass knife for the movie. So I get a cool knife fighting scene. I am by no means a knife fighter, so hopefully this uh, this movie, Magical, will make me look cool with a knife.
0: But you were but unfortunately yeah. no longer at the Clown Hotel or the Clown Motel, no, I man, should the, say. Everybody's
2: like, moved out. Now we're moving to some bizarre cave. Um, and this is going to air later on, right?
0: Oh, yeah. We're, I'll put oh, yeah, this yeah. Up on Monday. So
2: we're we shooting in some cave nearby, brother.
0: I mean, what, 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 the I'm, hotel you're at looks Nevada. like a typical – you're at a normal hotel right now.
2: Yeah. And, you know, hopefully nothing kind of followed me here. man. (laughs) Now you're starting to get me freaked out thinking about all those clowns and graveyards and shit. (laughs) But, yeah, man, we're in Henderson, Nevada, and we're shooting about 30 miles away from here at um, some ghost town. And, you know, we have a lot of outside scenes and then we have a cave scene. And uh, yeah, man. And then all the clowns followed us down here. I think we're supposed to have even more clowns here. So it's it's, definitely going to be an interesting time.
0: It's it's cool to see at least someone shooting an indie film right now. I mean, we had Debbie Rashawn on the podcast, who's an actress, and it looks like the film industry is at a halt. You know, I yeah. here in New York, theaters are closed down. I, I have no idea when they're going to open back up. I was debating if I want to cross state lines to go see Bill and Ted 3 just to get the theater experience if I go to yeah. Connecticut, you know.
2: I tell you what, man, This indie, that's one thing I've learned this week is this indie film thing, especially for the horror scene, is huge. It is. These actors and everybody are going from one movie to the next movie to the next movie to the next movie. And you look at their profile and they've got like 30 things in a pipe. Yep. There's like a, a world of working actors out there who I had no idea, man, because I've been typically mainstream my whole life, like watching like all like the real, you know, high budget horror movies and stuff. But there is a, a very indie budgeted film industry out there man like huge
0: it is but it's it's a grind for those actors i know you know i know from being a friend with debbie and, and also previously for me working on fangoria radio which was on series uh, yeah. at one point uh, very cool gig but yeah just getting to know some of those actors it totally is a grind there's uh, you know people typically think of the millionaire hollywood actors these are people who live across the country sometimes in places like canada other countries and they're making a decent amount per film. They're doing what they're yeah. passionate about, but they're certainly not becoming rich doing it.
2: No, but they'll have continuity, which is good, and that's what I like about it, is a lot of these guys and girls have been and working for you know 20 years, now 30 years in the industry, and going and going and going, but it's a lot of work. I can only imagine, man.
0: Well, I think it just and, has to do with following your passion, too, right? You Because know, we've had people on the show before who, who are musicians and people who are... Um, like I said, actors uh, with Debbie really will have more on at some point, but I, I just think people watch TV and they get the stereotypical Ben Affleck and, and all these, you know, uh, all these different people who are living that extravagant lifestyle. And what I think more and more people need to see is sometimes following your passion. Uh, you're you're not going to get to that point, and you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifice and mm. not know where your next job is coming from. But if it's something you love, you're going to keep going. Hope you're enjoying this episode. Chris is out, as you know, um, he is in Illinois doing a training course with uh, Battleline Tactical and shooting. Fort Scott Munitions, of course. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors, In the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammo being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in every state, as well as direct online through FortScottMunitions.com. Stock up now. Use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peronto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline podcast. Check it out. Back to Jason Piccolo.
2: And hustle, man. Yeah. You know, I've been, like me with the podcast, podcasting is my passion now. And now, it's, now that since it went into the video, into the Amazon Fire, my next passion is like, you know, editing and making it look like a real quality project with a zero budget. And that's the thing, man, is like, don't wait till you're in your 40s to follow your passion. You can hustle on a side, man. Um, You know, if you want to be an author, I always tell people, Mike, if you want to be an author, you want to write anything, you don't have to go to a major publishing. You can get my books are in Barnes and Noble and Amazon and everything else online. Um, You can just do it yourself, man. And that's the same thing. If you if you're passionate about a, a subject, write an op ed, man. I've written like, I don't know, 15, 20 op eds now for Examiner Town Hall. And uh, just if there's something you're passionate about, write for it. You don't have to write for major publications. You don't have to write to become a millionaire. Write because you want to. Everybody's got a story to tell. Everybody's got a passion. Find out what it is. It doesn't have to be the grind. Don't wait till you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 70. You know, as you were saying before, you know, once you hit 50, you're <laughs> getting a little bit closer. To
0: <laughs> it. And I'm just breaking balls there. I mean, because I'm I'm going to be that age at some point too. You know. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it's true. I think especially right now with um, the whole situation in America, I think we're seeing people who they're working their job and then their free time is spent either watching Netflix or going on Twitter and debating people. And it's like at a certain point I realized that that is just – I'm really withdrawing from a lot of it um, because I've realized what a waste of time it is. It's all designed to be addicting. And if you could use that time writing a book – starting a podcast writing a script for a movie it's just time so much better spent i think
2: when i wrote uh, you know when i wrote these books i did it at night i have a little laptop a uh, cheesy desk thing that you can put in your lap i sat down with my daughter um uh, we watched whenever she wanted to watch shows together you know she's like nine ten years old at the time and i'm like hey i'll write while she we watch something together because uh when you write, you could just get it out there, man. You don't have to, especially if it's a, a memoir or something you're write, You're passionate about. You don't have to find the perfect spot. You don't have to write from A to B to C to D. You could write what you want to write about that day and then edit later on. And But if you want to write a book, you want to do a podcast, research it and do it.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I've heard people who self-publish books say that you could write literally one page a day and by the end of the year, you have a book. Yeah, man. Um,
2: I tell people 400 to 1000 words a day, but commit. And I always tell people and, and you know, I, I talk about it all the time this thing they call mind map where you put your subject in the middle, and then you branch off like you just get a little diagram, you branch off and you figure out what you want to write about that day. You don't have to write ABCD, you just write, man.
0: You also never know what's going to get picked up and what's going to be huge, Mm -hmm. especially in this current climate. You don't have to have a major publisher. I mean, a great example of that is I'm sure you've heard David Goggins on Rogan's podcast. And he he talked about on the show, it might have been the first time he came on that – uh, major publishers were turning down the book and saying, like, Black Navy SEAL, there's not really a market for this. And, you know, and he was even saying, like, these people don't know my audience. Like, my, he was like, my audience, honestly, is primarily white dudes. Like, they yeah. don't care that I'm black. They care about, like, my drive to become a SEAL. And the book blew up. It's of Of the many Navy SEAL books, it's probably one of the biggest, easily in the top five. And he did it completely on his own. Yeah, man, I've had uh, like
2: Remy on, Remy Adeliki. Great guy. I've interviewed him too. Awesome. Great guy. Absolutely, man. Uh, and he's the same way. I don't know, man. I, and I don't want to get into race and politics, but if you're a soldier, I don't care what you look like. You're a SEAL. You're a Greenbrae. You're anything. You know, you're a line infantryman. You're a cook. It doesn't matter, man. If you write a passionate book that's going to give me some sort of lessons learned, I'm cool, man. I love learning lessons from people. I love it.
0: And I also love that we're all from different walks of life. Um and I and I also just think that stuff is getting discussed to death. I mean, the last show that we had on was James Powell, uh real name Jason. He at least revealed his real first name. <laughs> but uh Jason uh, is former CIA former Marine, black dude and uh, black powerlifter, <laughs> big dude. And <laughs> I've been friends with Jason for a while now and uh, you know I could reveal this at least. I, I'm not going to get into specifics of it. but before he we went on the podcast, I was like, you know, what do you want to get into? Is there anything specific you want to get into because I knew we wanted to get into his career? And he was just like, dude, honestly, anything but race right now he's like because i'm just tired of talking about it he's like i probably will disagree with the audience on some of it and that's fine but he's just like i've had enough of it at this point it's been discussed to death and i think a lot of people feel the same way um i know that we're focusing on some important issues in this country but at the same time it's like i I think people want to get away from that and have some type of an escape and also if we focus so much on our differences it's taking away from the things that actually do unify us and and you know a bu- like a book like david goggins was uh, was excellent i mean I, it totally spoke yeah. to me and i'm from an entirely different background as you know a guy from new york uh from you know my background but i but i related to the drive and and i aspired to be like him in certain ways
2: yeah and i love watching dave goggins on social media man um running down the road and yeah just, the dude's a machine he's incredible man uh, my, I'm in this like weird – ever since I hit my 40s or you know post-war, I'm in this weird like knowledge quest. I'm always trying to learn different things, man. Um, I'm staying away from languages because it's just not fun for me anymore. But there's like different things I want to learn. Like I want to pick up things from different people. I want to get different le- leadership lessons. I just want to learn, man. And I would always tell people, I'm like, just learn. You don't have to learn to put something on your resume. That's what I should backtrack. I should say – before, I used to say, okay, is that going to help my resume or is that going to help my professional life? Uh, but now it's like, hey, what can I learn that's pretty cool that's just something I enjoy, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people as they get older, they get away from that. You hear a lot of people who even are my age to your age. I'm I'm 34. They start to say, "I wish I would have done this with my life. I regret that I didn't do this." Rather than instead, you know, gaining that knowledge base and doing other things that you're passionate about. I mean, I've done several podcasts in the past. I'm doing this. I'm exploring new voiceover work. But I I don't know who's to say that I'm going to be doing that five years from now. I mean, over last summer to uh, up until the COVID stuff hit, I was working as a personal trainer, which was. Really cool to me, really outside of my usual field of of what I do because I wasn't passionate about fitness years ago. It's something I got into later on in life, and uh, I just said, hey, this is something I want to do. And it, w- it was cut short because of what's going on, and I don't even know if I'm going to go back to it or not because I've been so focused on voiceover. But, yeah, I, I think to always have that passion for life, to explore new things and learn new things is uh, – it's huge, and and people lose it unfortunately for the same reasons you. They, as you're saying, they have kids, they have to pay a mortgage on their house, and all that stuff, and it becomes no longer about you know learning something and, and creating.
2: Yeah, brother, I uh like recently, like this past year, I started getting back into guns and shooting and everything, and uh, I do a lot of stuff here and there with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. The ones who run Shot Show. And they have a program called Let's Go Shooting and Let's Go Hunting, like hashtag Let's Go Shooting. So I started taking people who have never really shot guns and take them to the range, man. It's so fun. And see their passion in their eyes when they pick up a gun for the first time, pick up an AR, pick up a pistol, a twenty two, anything. And it's so fun, man. so recently I, I'm getting my NRA certification so I can start getting people certified to get CCWs and stuff because there's so many people that are really into the firearms and shooting sports industry. It's just find your passion, man. If you're into that stuff, help other people too, man.
0: And I think uh, more people like you uh, are needed because there's a lot of instructors who haven't actually had to fire a weapon, haven't actually done stuff you've done at the border, and that that stuff comes in handy. That's why Chris is a great instructor.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. I got to take one of his courses sometime. Yeah, because I want to. Man, I'm not. I'm by no means. I mean, I've shot. You know, I've qualified every quarter for the past 20 years. I love shooting, but I am by no means a master. But I do know the basics, and I want people to just enjoy it. And I always tell people, like, whoever I take, I'm like, you really need to get training. You can't just pick up a firearm and know what you're doing. When I went, In order to get NRA certified, you have to go, and I know I'm going down a rabbit hole. here bit, fine. Like Guns and stuff, but I love talking about it. In order to become NRA certified, you have to go and take the basic course yourself. So the basic course I took was This is post-COVID. This was probably about four weeks ago. And 90% of the people, there was about 16 people in there, 90% have never picked up a gun. Um, 90% of them um, were probably on the other side of the aisle. Um, Older people, you know, over 40, uh, up to probably about 75 years old, getting their first gun. And they're there at the basic course to just learn how they operate, learn where you what sights are, what the basic uh, basics of a pistol are. And I was like, wow. I'm like, I did not expect this. I thought it would just be everybody that wants to get their CCWs there. One person wanted to get their CCW. Because where I live in Virginia, in order to get um, a CCW, you have to go to an NRA certified course. Or you have to have a, you know, we're talking about somebody who's never had any military or anything other background. You have to go to a certified course. And uh, it was amazing to see the clientele there and that's why i'm looking forward to you know getting it so i could start helping people man
0: that's awesome yeah and uh i should ask it it goes to the topic of guns actually and really restrictive gun laws uh what what was your journey from new jersey to uh virginia because jersey i know is some of the most restrictive gun laws
2: i uh i've been a fed man so i I haven't really had to worry about that (laughs) makes sense but, I, but my brother lives in Jersey still, and it's like – but here, I'll give you this. Wife, FBI agent, 15 – almost actually 16, 18 years. But when we were getting it, we bought an FBI Glock commemorative. Um, like it was a 100-year anniversary of the FBI. Uh, Glock 40 Cal 22. But in order to buy that in New Jersey, because we had to get it transferred to an FFL in Jersey, we had to get a, uh, a firearms license. It took us six months to get a permit in Jersey, man.
0: See, for the audience, and, they're like, this is insane. For me, I'm like, yep, I hear this all the time because I'm in New six York.
2: Six months, brother. And we're and she's a Fed. And then I wanted to buy another gun in order to do that, in order to go to the range, too, in order to buy anything in Jersey. It's nuts. And you have to go to your – okay, so here's the deal. Is you have to go in you and get your fingerprints. You have to go to the, the local police department or sheriff's. And file a permit for application for permit. Then I have to do a background check on you. And at this time, man, this is when I was working at all I get most stuff. I'm like, bro, I got a TSSEI and I can't get a permit. You know, I, I'm a Fed. And it's like <laughs> same thing with my wife. She can't get an FBI gun even though she's an FBI agent. You know, it's just weird, man.
0: So when did you move from New Jersey to uh, where you are now in Virginia? I moved to D.C.
2: in 2012. So oh, I so went to in the D.C. DC under- area. What's that, brother?
0: Or are you're you still in the DC area or you moved at the time? Yeah, no, I'm wow. still in the DC wow. area. why would you even want to be in the DC area?
2: <laughs> brother, to, trying to align two careers and kids in school. Okay. Like I said, and when I when I tell people two years, five months, till I'm fifty, that's when I can retire and do what you know, whatever I want. And uh yeah, man, I went to DC under a leadership T D Y. That means like DHS said, okay, we want to send people out there for temporary duty for a year to 18 months to become the future leaders of DHS. So that's how I uh, I ended up in D.C.
0: Okay, Yeah, that's – you know, I get shit for being a Long Island guy because I'm near New York City and, you know, but I do not think I would ever want to live in the D.C. area. I couldn't see myself being there, especially how inundated it is with the political stuff that you already see here Uh, at a certain point, as I was saying earlier – I like to not have to think about all that.
2: Yeah, man. But, I, you know, I live far enough. I live 20 minutes out of the city.
0: Okay. Virginia. Okay. So it's kind of like and me being on Long Island.
2: Yeah. It's it's just like that. I mean, when you're in Long Island, do you think anything about New York City? As far No. I
0: swear I am right now. But, you know, <laughs> at the Stay moment away. recording this. Stay away
2: from New York City, man. It's like make that like Mexico. Like there's a border there and you, you can't go there without it.
0: Like, <laughs> I, it's crazy because I was speaking with the, the staff here at Gotham about that earlier. But it's, you know, it, it's really tough to say where New York City is headed in the next few years. Um, I do think the New York City that I love uh, has it's – it's been slowly deteriorating before this, um, you know, because of price, the cost of rent and all that. But, yeah, I, I just don't know where I see things in, in the next few years. And no one does. No one is a crystal ball. But, but everything – nationwide and worldwide is changing in terms of what people can do now with high bandwidth, with being able to do what we're doing right now on a Skype call. But I do think human interaction is extremely important as well. And I do not want to lose that.
2: I agree, man. I I really like Texas. I like Florida. I like Tennessee. Um, I just I got to get out of D.C., man. Two and a half years, three years. It's uh, because, you know, you go down there now. I have not been because I'm allowed to remote. Uh, but I tell you what happened, man, when I, and this is a quick story about the wife is, uh, she's FBI agent. We know that already. She's into Washington field office. And when all the riots were going down, man, it was a mass broadcast and she had to get deployed, man, down into DC to patrol the streets as an FBI agent. And I'm like, when was the last time anybody did riot training in FBI? Do they even have PPE? Do they have anything? And, uh, you know, it was it was an interesting experience, you know, my my daughter and it was like for an indefinite period. So my daughter and son and I were all running around the house, getting my gear, we're putting a gear bag together for her and everything, you know, just because you don't know when she's going to come home next. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, what the fuck is going on where you got to call up FBI agents? And my viewpoint was this. You call up every Fed. You open up and not to be political, but open up a uh, open up some area where you can interview people and get the real skinny facts on who's out there and who's doing what but uh you got to be prepared for anything now in this covid time man and if you're an leo regardless of what you're doing you never know when you're gonna get a call to have to move out and do something man
0: yeah yeah absolutely it's an interesting time right now um so it sounds like you might be transitioning between um what you've been doing for the past several years and doing more media right and doing podcasting is that am i getting that right
2: yeah, man. My goal is to expand this protectors network out there. Because uh, let me go into the show a little bit sure, for the audience out sure. there. I love it, man. It's uh, it's called the protectors. Now it's Jason Piccolo's the protectors. It was a protectors podcast, but now it's it's morphed into like this Amazon Fire TV app. And but it's what I do is I interview people that are law enforcement, military veterans, and and emergency responders. And I always put the caveat and those that support them. And I the other thing is zero politics. So I have awesome guests, man. If you see my guest list, I'm amazed at like how many unbelievable people have been on there from like, you know, your Jack Carr's, your Max Martinis to like now I have publishing houses that send me all their authors um, as long as they're within that protectors community. And it's a 20, 30 minute interview and we just chat and we just try to bring out some some good positive stories. We talk about some, you know, getting through some tough times and just really promote the protectors community because they need it right now, man. All of them, um, and I do have another show spin-off called Empowered, and that's a women empowerment show. And no, it's not a touchy feely show. I bring on women. Uh, my co-host is uh, Kelsey Desantis. She's a former Marine, MP, MMA badass, and we talk to women who want to like, pro- like, you know, go farther into protect our community. And that one we can do politics. We talked about women veterans getting into politics. We talk a lot about guns. You know, women um, getting guns for the first time or, you know, doing all sorts of really cool shit. But it's uh, it's really cool, man. So I'm starting the protectors network and that I'm just going to expand it out, with, you know, multiple podcasts and, and multiple really cool events, man.
0: And, and it sounds like another book in the works as well.
2: Yeah, I'm working on a book right now on domestic trafficking. And I've been fortunate enough to get agreement with a major agency within uh, within the government to help me out with that to provide information. Deliver funds going to provide information. Because you know as I go and I speak to people, I do podcasts, people always want to know about my feelings or stuff because they're like, well, you work here. What, do you, what is human trafficking? And I'm like, tell you what, I'm not the absolute expert on human trafficking when it comes to domestic trafficking. So this book is going to deal with domestic trafficking. I want to know what's going on within our country and how we could prevent it, how we could identify it, and how we could help those that are out there actually fighting the battle in the streets. And behind the scenes. So that's my goal with this book. Um, I'm searching for a publisher with this one. I'm actually working with Scott Husing. um, Major Scott Husing. Uh, He wrote Echo and Armadi. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, man. He's awesome. Him and I are really good friends. He's going to help me um, pitch it to a bunch of publishers. And try to really get this one mainstream. Because my goal is um, to get the word out there. And I tell you what, man. I haven't made a dime off the podcast. I won't make a dime off the books. I, I just... It's not the goal of anything, man. My goal is to get this out there because you know, it's almost like now that I have a platform, I could do what I couldn't do as working with DHS anymore.
0: But uh, you will, in time, make money through it because I, I just think if you're doing something genuine and the audience is there, especially with what you do and your background, I could tell you, you know we have Fort Scott Munitions on as a as a sponsor, for example, and I, a lot of these um, ammo companies. They're, they're doing great right now and they're not sponsoring, you know, these big name shows because a lot of big name shows are staying away from that community for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And it's really the podcasts like ours and yours that they're connecting with and the audience is connecting with, you know, as you were saying with SHOT Show and I'm sure there's not going to be a SHOT Show 2021 for the first time, but no, there is there. And it's going to be in person. Really? Yes, brother. Let's
2: talk SHOT Show 2021 because, uh. I had Larry Keenan, uh, Senior Vice President of uh, PR and Marketing and uh, SVP for them last week. Um, that episode is going to publish when I can get edited. Uh, probably not this week, coming up, but the week after. But we did a, a five-minute spotlight on 20, SHOT Show 2021. It's going to be in two separate venues because it's gotten that big. They are going to follow COVID protocols, but SHOT Show 2021 is coming on. You don't think there's uh, any
0: way it's going to get canceled because there's a lot of things that are scheduled and then last minute they're like, all right, got to oh, shut it down. Let's,
2: let's, I'm knocking on wood right now. Okay. Um, but yes, as of probably today, um, it is still going on, brother. Well, my, and, my um, whole
0: point, though, was there's a whole nother demographic, I think, of America that gets forgotten about, you know, that you see at and- SHOT Show. That are running very successful businesses, but that you don't see getting ad spots on Fox News, on CNN or any of that. But they are connecting with people on Instagram who are doing interesting things and podcasts like ours. But I can't believe that, man. I'm kind of shocked.
2: Yeah, I'll see you there,
0: brother. (laughs) Hopefully. yeah. I'm still not 100% convinced that that it's going to happen. I don't know. So I should tell the people listening once again, at Dr. Jason, and I realized I pronounced it wrong at the beginning when you said it. So Dr. Jason Piccolo, I said Piccolo, but uh, P-I-C-C-O-L-O on Instagram, on Twitter, Uh, check out the podcast, which is the uh, Protectors podcast, as well as the side podcast you're doing on the network that you're building up. Um and Clown Motel 2 coming out soon man anything else
2: Clown before? Motel 2 brother uh wish me luck today shooting my last scene I may or may not die um and hopefully if I do die it's a glorious death um and hopefully it's just fake because we are out in the middle of nowhere here in Nevada and and hopefully some clown doesn't just take me out <laughs> but brother I appreciate you having me on I want to really have both of you on the show. Um, I love doing a podcast and I love having hearing interesting stories and I like talking about different things other than the the main story you guys have always been talking about. So definitely brother.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And check out the books once again, which is unwavering a border agent's journey and out of the shadows. And thanks for doing this, man.
2: Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jason. Once again, you could follow him at Dr. Jason Piccolo, P I C C O. L-O, and I apologize for saying Piccolo earlier in the show. I don't know. I, I figure it was Piccolo, but it's Piccolo. Um, so check him out. Check out his books. And we have some really big guests coming up uh, this coming month. I don't want to spoil anything because you never know what's going to fall through or not. But one guy is extremely big that we have coming on. I'm excited for it. But I won't won't ruin it for you. Um, (laughs) Wrapping things up, though, Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact. That's their trademark, TUI, tumbles upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you're going to receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in every state as well as directly online through fortscottmunitions.com. You guys know it by now but I'm going to spell it out f o r t s c o t t m u n i t i o n s.com. Use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battleline Podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peronto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast. Uh, our sponsors are what keeps us going. You guys keep us going, so support them. Um, leave a review on Apple Podcast. Pick up a shirt. Uh, the link to the shirts are always in the episode descriptions. So uh, yeah, check it out. And uh, yeah, all of you checking it out and spreading the word is how we're keeping things going. And we'll be back on Monday with a new episode. As always, follow us at Battleline Podcast on Instagram, uh, Facebook, on Twitter, at Battleline Pod. Ian Scotto, signing off.
1: That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American straight talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit.